The Water Values Podcast, Session 80. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. We have a great show for you today, but first, if you've been listening to the show and enjoying it, I'd really appreciate it if you would provide both a rating and a review of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast directory you're using. Would really appreciate that. And also, uh, would love for you to leave a uh, take the listener survey at thewatervalues.com. It would really help me uh, come up with topics for you, interesting speakers, things that you want to hear about. And so now on to the show, uh, John Friedman of GE Water joins us today. John does an absolutely fantastic job explaining big picture water technology. Uh, and it goes beyond just water, you know, drinking water. It's also, we talk a lot about wastewater as well. So this is, I think this is a really fascinating, uh, fascinating episode. John's very knowledgeable and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to his insights. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, John, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, John, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. I'm uh, based in Washington, D.C., and I lead global government affairs and global partnerships for GE's water business. And GE has 50,000 water customers in 130 countries, and we are the world's leading water treatment technology company. So we, we provide technologies that are used to treat water and wastewater for cities and for industry. In terms of my background, um, like Donald Trump, I graduated <laughs> from the Wharton School, and that was a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and when I came out of Wharton, I had a degree in finance and real estate, and I went to work as vice president and general counsel for a real estate developer. The real estate developer was owned by a, the, the world's largest water uh, company called Suez, which is based in Paris. And after a couple of years, they put me in the senior leadership program, and my first rotation was to open an office for them in Los Angeles. Um, to develop water projects in the western U.S., and then I went to headquarters, which was Paris, and before you know it, I, I was in the water industry. So kind of no plan to get in, but have really enjoyed it a great deal. Oh, terrific. So you've, you've seen water from a, a, not only the U.S. perspective, but from that international perspective. Um, before we kind of jump into the meat of the program, can you kind of, would you be willing to like, like compare and contrast kind of how, how the U.S., views water infrastructure versus how that more international uh, perspective on on infrastructure looks? Well, sure. And, and so when I was in uh, working for Suez in Paris, uh, my job was strategic marketing, and, and it, it, it was a global company, so I spent a lot of time on the road. And, you know, in a lot of countries around the world, water is um, very much a private sector undertaking. In other words, um, uh, running drinking water or wastewater treatment systems is often the province of um, large private sector companies. But in the U.S., it's really quite the opposite. Eighty-five percent of people get their drinking water from municipalities, 
and 95% of people get their, their wastewater treated by municipal or regional systems. And so the private sector plays a relatively small role in the U.S. delivering water and wastewater services, but outside the U.S., it's, it's, it's a very much a different story. Hmm. And so uh, given that international perspective, um, what, what are the challenges you see uh, in each model uh, for private ownership versus, pu- versus public ownership? You know, the, the one challenge that I think is universal is that water is underpriced pretty much everywhere in the world. And in other words, it costs more to, to treat and distribute water <clears throat> than uh, the tariffs that are being charged to do that. And, and so what that results in is kind of chronic underinvestment. And if you look here in the U.S. alone, the American Water Works Association, which is a professional society of drinking water utility operators for the most part, they released a report a couple of years ago, and they said that just in the U.S., it'll take a trillion, one trillion dollars in investment to get drinking water infrastructure up to speed. So. Imagine that in the U.S., one of the uh, wealthiest and most developed nations in the world, and just kind of imagine what that translates into in terms of a global picture. And so it's a really tough situation. In other words, low prices for drinking water and wastewater services, chronic underinvestment, and really a pent-up need for a great deal of infrastructure. Sure. And and one of the things I want to chat with you about today is – the uh, partnership that GE Water has entered into with MWH concerning uh, water reuse and recycling. And can you, first off, can you tell us a little bit just about that partnership? It was announced relatively recently, and uh, I'm just interested to know a little more about it. Sure. Well, 10 years ago, GE launched a global environmental initiative called Eco-Imagination. And as part of that, GE said, hey, we're going to reduce our own water footprint by 25% over a five-year period. And if you fast forward to, to today, GE has actually reduced its water uh, footprint by more than 42%. So incredible progress just by virtue of setting a sustainability goal and then going after it. And what we've said is, wow. That's been a great experience, and what we want to do is translate that externally. In other words, how do we amplify what we've done, been able to do ourselves, but do it with other comp- other uh, companies around the world and even communities around the world? And we said, well, we can't do it by ourselves. We can only do that through partnerships. So uh, on October 29th in Paris, GE celebrated the 10-year anniversary of its <clears throat> eco-imagination program and said, hey, for the next 10 years, we're going to try and work through partners. And one of the key partnerships we announced was uh, a collaboration between GE's water business, which we've already talked about a little bit, but also Goldman Sachs and MWH Global. I think you know and most people know Goldman Sachs is one of the world's leading investment banks. And so uh, they bring a really interesting financial um, angle to this. And MWH Global is, I believe, the world's number one or number two water uh, uh, engineering, procurement, and construction firm. So um, if you look at the three of us together, GE Water provides uh, world-class water treatment technologies. Goldman Sachs designs, I'm sorry, uh, MWH designs and and implements uh, big water and wastewater treatment systems, and Goldman Sachs can bring the money 
to the equation that is often missing. And as we talked about before, just in the U.S., a trillion-dollar pent-up demand for infrastructure, that money is not always available. So Goldman, Goldman adds an interesting uh, financial aspect to this as well. Uh, that's fascinating. I, 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 given the, the this chronic underinvestment and the underprice, uh, under the underpricing of water, isn't it difficult to bring that financial piece to the puzzle because because people are finding higher returns elsewhere? I mean, how does how does that work? Yeah, it's always challenging to invest in water projects and uh, expect a high rate of return. Although one of the things we're seeing is an increase in tariffs around the world. And uh, here in the U.S. it's happening. And I'd say that, that water and wastewater tariffs are inc- increasing, you know, in the neighborhood of 5 to 10 percent a year, which is far, far, far higher than GDP growth. So water, I think, is increasingly becoming an interesting place to invest for organizations like Goldman Sachs. And uh, if you look at Saudi Arabia, <coughs> they just increased – the tariff they charge for industrial water by more than 50%. I think that went into effect, you know, at the beginning of this year, so just a, just a couple of weeks ago. So I think we're seeing uh, selected places around the world where it is making a lot of economic sense to invest in water, and I think that's increasingly going to be the picture. Sure, and with, with these price increases, is, uh, you know, you hear a lot about recycling and reuse of water. I mean, do you kind of feel like you're ahead of the curve in this partnership or in this in this collaboration uh, really bring in these recycled and uh, reuse water reuse projects to the to the front. Yeah, there's no question. And the driver, one one of the drivers for the for this partnership is that if you if you look, well, look here in the U.S. in California, where you know they're they're in the fourth year of the worst drought in the past 500, and now it's raining today, and it's been raining for a week or so, and that's fantastic. But this will continue to be a challenge going. Uh, scarcity will ch- continue to be a challenge going forward in the U.S. And it's a challenge in many, many parts of the world, not just the Middle East where it's arid, but places like Brazil, which has 13% of the world's freshwater resources, China, we can go on and on and on. So water scarcity is a challenge. How do you address it? There are really three things you can do. One is conservation, which is terrific, but only gets you so far. California is a good example of that. Second is desalination, which, again, is a fantastic option to have if you have coastline or access to brackish groundwater reserves but it's expensive and energy intensive. And then the third option is water reuse, which you just mentioned. So in other words, taking wastewater and treating it so it can be reused for things like growing crops, for running power plants, and even for drinking water. And so reuse makes a lot of sense because it costs on average about half to a quarter of what desalination costs and uses, you know, similarly uses about half to a quarter the amount of energy. Well, I didn't realize the economics were like that. Uh, You know, I, I, could you talk a little about the you, you mentioned you know water reuse for crops or even even potable reuse what what all goes into how you figure out what kind of reuse or recycling project you're going to uh, going to implement what are the factors there yeah well you start with the technology and and the technology exists to treat the water to almost any level in other words you can you can treat it to such a high degree that you are in essence, stripping out the H2O molecule and leaving absolutely everything else behind. You couldn't even drink it. It would be too pure. So you can, you can do that. But, but typically what we're doing in, is we're, we have a basic building block for a lot of our reuse projects, both in the municipal and the industrial context, and it's called a membrane bioreactor. And this has membranes that 
will take out viruses and bacteria, but leave in some things. And, 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 and we have about our technology for these membrane bioreactors. Are, we have more than 1,000 systems around the world where they're installed, and they're treating right now about a billion gallons of water each and every day that is being reused. Now, you can then take that water, which has been treated to a certain degree, and treat it to a higher degree if you want to use it for something like you know, uh, washing semiconductor chips, which have to be washed in ultra-pure water, or you can use it as is for, for crops or even refilling reservoirs. Yeah, I, I remember Just, when I... Oh, right. So uh, I think it's fascinating you brought up the ultra-pure water. I remember reading Charles Fishman's book, uh, The Big Thirst, and that was the first time I had read about that ultra-pure water and the glass pipes at those those factories, uh, those chip factories. So um, very interesting stuff. Now, you mentioned these membrane bioreactors uh, are in use around the world. I mean, where, in your estimation, is this? where are these technologies being deployed um, in the, you know, in the greatest concentration? You know, the, I, I think the answer is <laughs> everywhere there's uh, a need for reusing water, um, which, which we're now seeing in places you never would have expected. So we're seeing it in, in uh, Western Europe, for example. Uh, in Paris, they've just implemented one of the largest um, membrane bioreactor projects in the world. It's under construction in Stockholm. You know, if you've been to if you've been to Stockholm, I think there are 14 bridges that connect the city. You know, it's, it's surrounded by water, and yet there's there's always a need for more clean water, fresh water. So we're seeing it uh, in the Middle East. We're seeing it in uh, California. We're seeing it in Western Europe. Um, pretty much everywhere. I think I think Latin America has been uh, slower to adopt, and I think that's uh, that's. That's kind of the next uh, frontier we're expecting to see. Now, what makes you say that? Why is Latin America the the next frontier for? Well, what, one of the things that you need to do before you can treat wastewater is collect it. And uh, if you go to certain countries uh, in Latin America, they might only be collecting even half of their wastewater. Uh, and then of the half they're collecting, they might not even be treating it all with uh, kind of traditional what's called secondary treatment before it's discharged. So you need to first reach a point where um, you have the infrastructure in place to collect your wastewater, to begin to treat it, and then you can treat it to a higher degree using membrane bioreactors. And we are seeing, um, in, light, in, in part because of scarcity, a lot more interest in collecting and treating wastewater to a high degree for reuse. And, and I think, you know, if you, if you saw the newspapers earlier that, uh, in 2015, you see that in Sao Paulo, I mentioned Brazil earlier, but in Sao Paulo, now, <clears throat> The, the taps were literally running dry during certain parts of the year, so water scarcity is a big deal, in, in, in you know, in, in throughout various countries in Latin America. Sure. Um, so I, I guess I should ask this for the benefit of the listeners: Is there a difference when people talk about recycling versus reuse, or are they the same thing? To me, they're interchangeable. Technically, you would say. Um, hey, if you're within a, a, a plant, a, a power plant, for example, and you take the water and instead of discharging to a river, you close the loop, you recycle it. But you could say if you're a municipality 
and you're discharging your wastewater in a river, if you take that water, treat it so you can reclaim it, and then pipe it to a wastewater plant, you might, I mean, pipe it to a power plant for use, you might call that reuse. So I would say inside the fence, closing a system, you would call that recycling. If you're taking some source of wastewater, treat it, and piping it somewhere else, you would call that reuse. But, I, you know, to me, they're interchangeable. Right, terrific. Uh, so what are the issues when you're going to be recycling or reusing water uh, in, in terms of, and, and let me give you some background on why I'm asking this question is because when I was living in Denver, a lot of trees in a park were re- being irrigated essentially through reused water. And then they started dying uh, on a wholesale level. And they kind of figured out that the reason they were dying was because the reused water, there was a, a, a salt buildup and it ended up killing all these conifer trees. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, what your perspective is on on the issues that, you know, water reuse or recycling involve and kind of, you know, what the output product is. Yeah. Well, I'm not familiar with the, the Denver example, but um, there are all kinds of ways to treat water for reuse. And you can do very minimal treatment and then try to use it to irrigate trees, where um, you can do more advanced treatment. I, I, would, I would say that um, the technology is so proven that um, it's absolutely safe to take wastewater, treat it through membranes so that it can be put directly into a drinking water reservoir. So I think it's just a question of the technology that's being deployed, but there's no question that technology exists to treat water for any use whatsoever absolutely safely. Right, so this is just kind of a, a user error of not not taking out the salts, not realizing that those salts would have that effect on the on the trees, at least in the Denver example. Um, that would be my guess. Yeah, uh, you mentioned two other areas: uh, conservation and desalination. That that were, you know, water supplies or sources of kind of where additional water could come from. What are the issues you're seeing with uh, desalination? Again, it's just like water reuse. It's a, it's a very proven technology, and the cost has come down dramatically over the past 15 or 20 years, uh, which is great. But it's still uh, a relatively expensive technology. And then one of the things that you're left with is, um, uh, you, you know, you, you can't treat all of the water. There's always a slipstream um, that does not go through, let's assume it's membrane-based desalination, there's always a strip stream of water that is a higher concentration of salt that does not go through the membranes that you need to do something with. And so typically if it's an ocean-based desal plant, you'll have a discharge pipe that will go back into the ocean, and the area in which it's discharged becomes saltier than it was before, and it impacts the environment. So that's one of the issues with desalination. The other big issue is the intake pipe and how does that how does that also impact the 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 part of the ocean from which you're taking the water those are the issues i think they can both be dealt with but the bigger issue that has not yet been dealt with is simply the economics it's a very expensive way to treat water and there are less expensive ways that exist and i think about wastewater you know if you look around the world today we're only reusing three to four percent of the world's wastewater. I view that as, in effect, this huge ocean of water that can be treated, but at half to a quarter the cost of ocean water. Sure, and, and well, some people. I mean, I think that's going to take a, a a 
some education to get people over that mental hump of essentially drinking the water that was in the toilet yesterday. Um, yeah, and so there's not just a technology component to it. The technology is there. You can always always push to reduce the cost even further. And GE, for example, is is always working on reducing the cost of its uh, water treatment technologies. <clears throat> but there's a policy component too, and the policy is the policy component is how do you convince people it's not only important but safe to take uh, wastewater and reuse it for things like you know agriculture, industry, and drinking. And governments are doing that uh, very actively in many parts of the world today. Sure. And what what are the how are they doing that? What are the most effective policy campaigns to get that message across that you've seen? What what are the components of those? Yeah. Well, GE released a report in June, which where it identified 150 policies that governments around the world are implementing today to promote greater reuse of water, and a good chunk of those policies are in the education and outreach area. You know, if you look in Mexico, for example, the government has a program, the federal government has a program where they share um, education materials with local utilities so they can communicate to people in their communities and also operating uh, expertise so they can make sure to operate the reuse systems as effectively as possible. Spain does something uh, very similar. Singapore is probably the world's leader in education outreach where you have uh, leading government officials who will drink treated wastewater to make people totally confident that it's, it's a safe product. Um, so lots of examples from around the world, although uh, I do think that one of the most effective things you can do is simply not say anything at all. Just treat the wastewater for reuse. It's perfectly safe. People don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, uh, I think the problem with that, though, right, is is that if you don't undertake that public campaign, someone is the media or someone's going to get someone's going to get leak that to the public, and then you're going to be viewed as hiding something, right? Yeah, uh, so, I'm sure that's the risk. Yeah, so, San Diego is a good example of a community that now is um, pushing forward towards direct potable reuse, and they have a pilot program underway proving the technology, and they're doing a good job of uh, community outreach as well, um, sharing the results with, with the public so the public will be totally uh, comfortable that it's a safe same thing to do. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think public buy-in is really important. Let's let's talk about some of the other things GE Water is doing uh, in the water technology area. What uh, what else do you have on your plate there? Well, you know, um, as a, you know, water reuse is one of our main areas of focus. But if you want to look around the corner a little bit, what we're what we're focusing on now is taking wastewater, treating it to such a high degree that it can be reused, but doing that in a way that doesn't cost any energy whatsoever, in fact, can even return energy to the grid, so energy neutral or positive wastewater treatment and reuse. So that's really the new frontier for GE Water. Yeah, and so is this... um in some of the energy applications I've worked on, they've talked about, you know, if, for example, you use really high level energy and then after it's done, you, you recapture it and use it at the next lower level of energy and recapture that and then use it at the next lower level. And it's, it's this cascading effect. And I'm kind of curious, 
if if the same applies in water, you can you can have kind of the highest level. The let's say the the ultra, the ultra pure water that you use in silicone chip manufacturing, and then bring it down to the next level, use it for that, and then reuse it again, and keep going down until you essentially get down to you know irrigation or some other. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, that's absolutely true. There, uh, we 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 certainly use energy recovery devices. Uh, for example, if you look at a desalination plant, uh, I mentioned that slipstream of water that does not go through the membranes. It's under very high pressure, though. That water can be harnessed to turn a turbine, which will in turn generate more electricity. So the, these types of things exist and are being used and being perf- you know increasingly perfected. But in energy neutral wastewater treatment. It turns out that if you look at a municipal level, the typical municipal wastewater stream has four times the energy embedded in it as it takes to treat the wastewater. And in effect, there's organic material in the wastewater that can be converted to biogas or methane. The methane can then be used to run a, a small gas engine that can generate electricity. And, and you can actually generate more electricity than you need to operate the wastewater treatment plant. So that's the new frontier. And this is particularly uh, important because, you know, we live in a carbon-constrained world today. Um, you know, there's a lot of focus on climate change. If you look in the U.S., about 3% of the United States' electricity is used to run wastewater treatment plants. Imagine if you can take that uh, 3% and add it back to the grid at almost no cost. I mean, it's a great opportunity for our country, for the world, really. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, you've mentioned the energy recover recovery. Are there other um, resource recovery applications you can get out of out of these waste streams? Well, there are. I mean, um, there are all types of uh, resources in wastewater and increasingly, um, you know, mining companies, for example, that generate wastewater streams are treating the wastewater to to extract uh, more of whatever resource they were mining from the wastewater. Um, You know, the energy example I just gave from municipal wastewater systems. So there's no question. uh, And and if you look at fracking or hydraulic fracturing, um, you know, the shale revolution that we're in now uh, here in the U.S., uh, increasingly, uh, you know, oil and gas companies are extracting salt from because the the water that comes up uh, from the ground is extremely salty, extracting salt from that process, which could be reused for things like uh, highways, so that they uh, to, to melt ice. Yeah, fascinating. I, I agree with you, John, that we are in uh, a really exciting time in the water industry with with all these new frontiers opening up. Is there uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say concerning the state of water? Well, the only thing I'd like to to add is I'd like to commend the federal government here in the U.S., which is focusing on water as it enters the, the eighth and final year of President Obama's administration. The White House convened a Water Innovation Summit on December 15th, where GE Water CEO Heiner Markoff was um, one of the panelists that opened the event. And, and I think there's this increasing interest on the part of the federal government to ensure that the U.S. has a su- sustainable supply of water going forward. And they're going to convene another summit on World Water Day, March 22nd. So I hope to see you there, David. Oh, terrific. I, uh, I very much look forward to that. And uh, certainly keep for you listeners out there, keep, uh, keep tuned into the Water Values podcast because I have a feeling that's going to be an upcoming topic. So 
You've been absolutely fantastic walking us through uh, all these applications that GE Water is involved in and the partnerships that GE Water is involved in. Uh, For those who want to find out more about you and GE Water, where can they go to get that information? Uh, GEwater.com. Pretty simple. (laughs) Terrific. Well, I wanted to thank you again so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time and uh, very much look forward to talking to you soon. You bet. Well, that was my interview with John Friedman. As you can tell from the interview, he's a fantastic guy and really knows his stuff. He also provided great insight into where water treatment is headed, which leads right into some of my takeaways. Uh, First, uh, and this is the biggest takeaway, I think, involved water reuse. You know, John identified a great statistic that today we're only reusing about 4% of the water that runs through our treatment plants. You know, this is a tremendous source of water that is currently untapped, and it costs a lot less to treat water for reuse than it does to desalinate new supplies. So that sets up just an absolutely fan- fascinating uh, technology battle to me, uh, and a, you know, the race for what's what what technology is going to win out at least in the short term. Is it going to be uh, water reuse or desalination? Um, there's going to be you know what what. What's going to be the mix? Which one is going to be adopted in, in greater numbers? Uh, so that's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch these technologies develop. Um, and are we as a society going to get through some of the mental roadblocks that some folks have about toilet to tap and uh, continuously reusing uh, the water that, uh, that we have in our locale? So I think, again, this is going to be an absolutely fascinating thing to watch develop over the coming years. Uh, a couple of the other takeaways I had uh, one of them involved conservation, you know, conservation, I think John hit the nail on the head. Conservation is great, but it only gets you so far. I really believe conservation is that an important piece of the water puzzle. And I agree that conservation though, as important as it is, it can't be the end in itself. You know, conservation standing alone won't get us where we need to be as a society from a water use perspective. Uh, my, my final takeaway involves energy and resource recovery from wastewater treatment. Uh, I think this is going to ab- absolutely explode. I think John's, John's right onto this, that uh, there are so many opportunities out there for energy recovery, uh, nutrient extraction, uh, and, and kind of mining the wastewater for other, uh, other minerals and things like that. And metals, for example, are some, one of the resources we can pull out of wastewater. So I think there's going to be a lot of development in this area. It's going to be absolutely uh, fascinating watching watching that develop. And I know that there's a you know John talked about uh, cogeneration or combined heat and power. I know there's a, a lot of the bigger wastewater treatment plants that are using that, uh, but I think there are a lot of opportunities for not just the big plants, but even the the smaller scale plants to use uh, combined heat and power to uh, help power the the wastewater treatment plant. So I think these are going to be, again, I think these kind of resource extraction, nutrient extraction things, these are going to be really uh, huge opportunities for us uh, in the next uh, generation. So I would really love to hear what interested you about the interview with John. So please let me know by posting a comment on the show notes, or you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com, or you can tweet at me at DTM1993. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. Would really appreciate any feedback you've got. In closing, 
Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.